0: This is a, a learning that will stay with them for the long term versus if I sat them down and said, this is why we should care for the environment. And this is why it's important. Kids will just nod your hand and be like, yeah, 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 got it. And then just walk away. But because you engage them in the growing of food, they're able to pick it up, but also is, is able to stay with them. The impact stays with them much longer into their life.
1: Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show, where you'll learn how to get your mind right so that your body will follow. I'm Trudy Stone, certified culinary nutritionist, author, and mind body coach. And several years ago, I self hacked my mind and my body to lose 30 pounds. Each week, not only will you learn nutrition and weight loss habits, you'll also learn how to address the destructive habits and negative self talk that lead to overeating and battles with your weight. The secret to losing weight and keeping it off is not only about what you put in your stomach, it's also about what's going on in your brain. So congratulations on showing up. I promise to support you on your journey with every single episode. Let's begin. Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. I am so grateful for you tuning in today. And today I have a very, very special guest. This lady completely blew my mind, just blew me away in terms of the work that she is doing in my very own community here in Toronto, Canada. Uh, So joining us today here in the podcast, we have Letitia Diawu and Letitia is actually a longtime resident of the Jane and Finch community and mother of two children who's been leading social activist work in the Jane and Finch area of Toronto, which is a community that historically deals with multiple systemic barriers and also across the city of Toronto as a whole for the past 14 years. As a community resident organizer, Letitia has been absolutely instrumental in development and formation of a number of prominent community groups and initiatives, including Jane Finch on the Move, Jane Finch Action Against Poverty, Jane Finch Political Conservation Cafe, Black Creek Food Justice Network, Mothers in Motion, and so much more. Man, I need a drink after that. (laughs) Letitia also works as a community development worker with Jane and Finch Community and Family Center for many years. Letitia is currently the director of the Black Creek Community Farm, an eight-acre farm in uh, Toronto, Canada, where she engages residents, allies, and other stakeholders in struggles for community improvement and social and economic justice, including the realization of food security and food justice in Jane and Finch. She's helped facilitate the formation of Black Creek Food Justice Network, Black Creek Community Farm and Resident Council, and has managed to bring together a wide range of allies and supporters together for the enhancement of the community farm and for the non-profit urban food development in one of Toronto's most excluded and disadvantaged communities. Letitia is also a member of the Toronto Food Policy Council. She's the chair of Seed Change, formerly USC Canada, and is currently a part-time instructor with George Brown College. Letitia is a recipient of the RL Institute. Canada Community Food Hero Award. Letitia, that is quite the rundown. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. Letitia, welcome Thank to the Mind you. Your Body show. Soak that all in, take it all in. How does it feel for you to hear all of these things that you've done in the community, the awards you've received, all of the, the amazing work that you've done? How does it feel to hear that?
0: um uh, I, I think it can be overwhelming I think you don't realize what you do until like you write it down and then it's read back to you and then you're like mm-hmm. oh damn like I'm, I'm doing a lot but uh, it's always important to slow down and to take care of yourself as well um, absolutely yeah, I'm really grateful thank you and thanks for having me on the show
1: oh my god it's it's my absolute pleasure to have you here I'm so glad that you're I'm so honored that you're here with us today so, Letitia, I know I read a pretty extensive background there for you, but can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your words and what you're up to in the world?
0: Um, so, I think, uh, like my bio said, I'm a community resident in the Jennings-French I mean, community. This is where me and my family immigrated to um, in 201996. 1996, actually. So, I've lived in this community for most of my life. I'm from Ghana, um, a very small village called Pipiasi. And I got into this work more from a social activism before I even started working at the farm. Um, A lot of the work has been with uh, Jane Finch Action Against Poverty, really looking at the special diet. I don't know if folks know a bit about a special diet, but for people on Ontario Works, which is a welfare program, there was a a program called the special diet for people who needed, um, you know, extra nutritious uh, food and also had health uh, challenges as well. So you were able to get a little bit of money to kind of support that work, um, to to support you and your family. And those funds were cut. And, and I think at the time, I never looked at that work as like a food security work or something that had to also do with food justice as well. But I think years later, as I grew in this work, I learned that it's very much tied as well. So yeah, so... I did not come from an agriculture background at all, other than, you know, growing up as a child in Ghana and going to the farm with my grandmother. So everything literally that I learned around agriculture was through my work with the Black
1: people. Wow, that's amazing. So when you were in Ghana, did you grow your own food at all or no? It was just like going to food markets with your family or? You no, know,
0: I, I grew food with my grandmother. My grandmother um, has a small uh, farm. That's what she used to feed her family. That's what she used to pay for our education and to feed literally the community. So, I think in hindsight, now that I'm really appreciating what my grandmother stands for as a, a Black woman doing small scale agriculture and to kind of think about her work also on a global scale. And the fact that it has been Black and Brown, dominantly women, who have been feeding our communities for centuries. And I think. You know, there's a way that corporations have kind of removed us from that. So we think, oh, our food just comes from the grocery store and then the farmer is far removed. So we don't have to think about who's actually growing uh, the food that we eat.
1: Right. So it's almost like it's come full circle for you in a way, right? Very, very much so. Very much so. Oh, that's beautiful. It's incredible. So in your work at Black Creek Community Farm, you're deeply engaged in advocacy and in farming as well at the same time or agriculture. So in terms of how that food gets to the Black community, what do you see as some of the challenges there?
0: So I'll give you an example. The Jane and Finch community, um, at the corner of Jane and Finch, you will find fast food restaurants. Our community, this was a a study that was done a decade ago, and I'm sure it probably looks worse now, but our community was actually paying about 7% more for fresh produce, including milk, in comparison to other neighborhoods across the city. So think about uh, a highly uh, racialized community with a lot of Black people, um, a lot of people of color, a high immigrant population also paying more for food. It's also a community that faces uh, multiple systemic barriers, as you mentioned earlier. So we're looking at housing. We're looking at employment. We have over 100 employment agencies that surround our community. So it tells you that, you know, in terms of access to employment, the predominantly uh, people in our community also work in precarious work. How does that connect with food? Where you live, uh, the type of income you have has a direct impact on your health and and on your overall well-being. If I go to a no frills and all I get is mac and cheese or a lot of canned foods, there isn't, we don't get those really beautiful array of vegetables that you find in high-income neighborhoods, right? We get sort of literally, it's like the, the, the end of the stick, the, the, the produce that is not that high quality. So in terms of Black people's access to food, when we live in these communities and what we have access to is predominantly having a huge impact on our overall health. So that's why in our communities, you find high rates of diabetes, high rates of high blood pressure. You know, the Humber Black Creek neighborhood, apparently, you know, uh, obesity rate among children is about 20 percent. Mm-hmm. Right. In comparison to other neighborhoods as well. So that is what our communities are challenged with. And it's not a matter of a choice, because if you are a single parent and you are struggling to make ends meet and you have to choose between your rent and food, Um, you're gonna go with the food that will um, have a a longer shelf life, which is most likely not healthy for you, but that is what is going to feed your family and keep them fed for the long term. So I think in terms of um, our communities, um, there's a huge challenge. Wow, oh my
1: God, there's so much to unpack there, Letitia. I want to talk about like when you said that, you know, when you go to certain um, grocery stores and let's say in lower income neighborhoods, like the, the food is just not really there. Like the fresh produce is not really there compared to when you were to go to, let's say, like an affluent neighborhood. So we've also hear the terms food desert and food swamps. So can you explain what each one of those things are and the effects of each in the black community?
0: So for me, the term I like to use is food apartheid. Food desert makes it seem like it's a natural occurrence. Mm. It's no one's fault. No one has any role to play. It has nothing to do with the systemic racism or has nothing to do with the way that governments um, um, kind of design our neighborhoods. Um, Food apartheid, one of the things that I like about it, it, it stops you. It actually makes you think, oh, isn't that a term that's used mostly when it comes to South Africa? Well, literally it is. Why is it that we have racialized communities, dominantly black neighborhoods that do not have access to food. And then when you go to other neighborhood that is dominantly upper class, um, dominantly white neighborhoods, they have a different access to food and they have that choice to choose between organic, whether their bread was made with spring water or whatever other sort of elitist way that people kind of look at their food. And in other neighborhoods, we don't have the same. So I think um, if I understand your question correctly, I think around food desert is really understanding that it's very much around race and class. Um, And it's very divided on racial
1: lines. Right. And then food swamps would, you know, kind of be, and I think you had mentioned this in an article that I read that you, where you gave a recent interview, but you talked about, I think it was a Jane and Finch community here in Toronto. And the fact that there are so many fast food, um, you know, restaurants in that area, but no access to fresh food. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about, you know, what these food swamps look like and how that affects the black community.
0: Yeah. So, um, and I think I touched on it a little bit as well. So like, I could go and I could get a meal like, you know, some very greasy fried rice, some greasy uh, fried chicken for three dollars. Yes, it will feel my tummy, but it's not healthy for me overall. It doesn't mean that I don't care about my health and I don't want to live healthy. Right. It has a lot to do with what are the type of jobs that I have access to? What type of income do I have? What is my rent? Um, I mentioned this in a a recent interview around the fact that some of our seniors, some of our aunties are literally choosing between whether they buy that medication, buy that food, or they pay their rent. That's sort of what people have to deal with. It doesn't mean that we need more education and that people need to be taught how to, because I can guarantee you when we have cooking um, at the farm, and people are using fresh vegetables, our aunties know how to eat healthy. Actually, I feel like they they have it all down pat in terms of what they should eat and what they shouldn't eat. But when someone has to choose between paying rent, buying that medication, or, or buying healthy foods, you know where the choices are going to be. And these choices are also having a huge impact on the overall health.
1: Oh, man. Belly fat is a common struggle for people looking to lose weight, and it can also be harmful to your health. This type of fat is called visceral fat and is a major risk factor for heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and other serious conditions. It can be tough to lose, but not impossible. Learn how you can burn belly fat and make it easier with my free guide, 7 Ways to Melt Your Muffin Top Fast, Backed by Science. You can find it over at TrudyEStone.com. I'll also drop a link in the show notes so you can grab it. Wow, well, so Letitia, what's the best way to ensure that people have access to healthy food in these lower-income communities? Is it by focusing on food production, focusing on systemic racism and economics? Like, What, you know, what do you think is the best way to, to go about this?
0: I think uh, systemic racism and the economics, we cannot talk about food without talking about housing and gentrification. The fact that, like in our community right now, lands are going up, um, the cost of living is going up. People are being displaced. Um, we cannot talk about we cannot talk about food without talking about the minimum wage. The fact that right now in the city of Toronto, you need about twenty dollars an hour to be able to survive, even the fourteen dollar minimum wage. Some places are not even paying people that amount. You're paying them ten dollars on the day, right? So wow. If people don't have the income, how can they afford the food, right? We cannot talk about it without talking about racism, because if you look at farms in southern Ontario, you will find Black and brown bodies on the fields picking out food. And it's interesting because it's the same communities that have faced the most inequities when it comes to access to food, right? right? So our whole food systems relies on the backs of Black and brown bodies. But we, it's like the food that you're farming is the same food that you can't even afford to eat. Mm. It tells you that there's something wrong with our system and the way that it's set up. Why is it that way that specifically black and brown bodies, let's not even talk about the numbers up north within indigenous communities on our reserves, right? It's much higher in terms of their access to food as well. So how, that's why I always say you cannot talk about food without talking about race. Um, without talking about racism and for us to do that it's not a matter of oh let's have more food banks um, and and get more of, and and give more food banks to people. We have to look at those deep uh, colonial um, uh, patriarchal capitalist systems in order for us to be able to address Food insecurity.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even when you go back, like, you know, hundreds of years ago and Black owned farms, especially in the US, like a lot of them were stolen from these Black owned farmers, right?
0: Yeah, very, very much so. So, our whole system, if we talk about the North uh, Atlantic slave trade, right? Black people were specifically brought here on the farms to grow food for who? And we were also the same ones not uh, benefiting. And that has not changed, right? And people would like to think that slavery ended a long time ago, but that has not changed because it's the same Black and brown bodies that are on the fields, and it's the same group of people that also do not have access and are also facing the blunt and the symptoms of that. And it has an impact on our overall mental health. It has an impact on our overall physical health as well. And it's literally killing us.
1: Absolutely. I remember I did a a talk one time and I had met a doctor, it was actually a black doctor here in Toronto where I live. And, you know, we were talking about diabetes. I was talking about managing the importance of managing your blood sugar. So we were talking about diabetes and he said to me, he said, you know, Trudy, he's like, you would not believe how many amputations I've had to do on black people because of diabetes. And I was shocked because I, you know, I realized in that moment that I was actually ignorant to it as well, because I thought that was happening in the U S I never imagined that that was happening here in Canada, especially at that rate. But he said, yeah, quite frequently, you wouldn't believe like how often I've had to perform surgeries of amputating legs and arms due to diabetes. So this is something that's definitely, I know I have listeners, listeners in the U.S., but this is something that's definitely prevalent in Canada. So, you know, Canadians, let's not think that we're immune to this. This is happening right here in our backyard.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely.
1: So, Letitia, recently, you know, at Black Creek Community Farm, where you're the director, you partnered with FoodShare, which is a Toronto-based food advocacy group, to connect the issue of hunger with race, class, health, housing, and politics through different types of programs. So, can you talk a little bit more about that, like why you decided to do that and how that all came to be? Um,
0: So, uh, specifically around the partnership with FoodShare uh, in general, or more so around the emergency food programs that we're running right now together.
1: Yeah, the the emergency food programs. Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah. So um, when COVID hit, I think um, in Canada, it was maybe March 13th um, when the shutdown was announced and um, the social isolation and social distancing started. We sat down as a team at the farm and we were trying to figure out, especially when people were going to the grocery stores and hoarding, Uh, food and toilet paper and all those things. And we thought about, you know, our community and that are people really going to have the money to hoard $1,000 worth of food or $700 worth of food. And we knew that many in our community would not be able to do so. So we were trying to figure out what are the things that we can do to make sure that they have something to eat. Of course, not knowing how long this was going to last or, you know, it, it was just us trying to just come together and figure that out. So as a team, we were like, okay, we have a little bit of budget. We really didn't have the budget, but I'm like, we're gonna make it happen, you know, and 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 go from there. And maybe we can service like 100 to 200 uh, community residents. So I called up Food Share and I was like, we would like to order some of the emergency uh, good food, uh, the good food box that they have, to be delivered to some of the seniors in the community. And I'm gonna create a form, and then we're just gonna do registration of people, and I'll talk back to you. And I woke up, I think it was Sunday morning and I looked at the list and we were like over 200 people registered for the emergency food boxes. And within like an hour or two, we were like 700 um, households that had registered. And I went into a panic. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh my God, we don't have money for this. How is it going to happen? So I put out like a a quick video. Literally, I woke up, I I didn't even brush my teeth. I just did a quick video, just say, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. If you have a little bit of money to contribute, help us out. I did not think it was going to spread as it did. And we have over, we received over $60,000 uh, from people just donating towards this cause. And we were able to um, use the funds to now uh, serve over, we've done over 6,000 emergency food boxes uh, to date. And we have over 2,000, now I think 3,000 households on our list, serving over 12,000 individuals in our community. And that was a partnership with FoodShare because they have already uh, a good food program and we really to figure out how we can um, do um, support people within our community. So FoodShare has been a natural partner because FoodShare's um, uh, mandate is really around food justice. We are a grassroots community-led organization, and, um, you know, we didn't want to work with any other organization, especially in Toronto, um, that didn't have a mandate like us. And also FoodShare has a a leadership that is also Black-led. So that was very, very important for us in terms of the work that we're doing and making sure that we can be stewarded properly and we can also get that support from them.
1: Oh, Letitia, that is incredible. Can I just talk about that for a moment? The fact that you just woke up, rolled out of bed, I woke up like this, recorded a video and was able to raise $60,000. That's that's incredible. I just want to acknowledge you for that for a moment. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much much. for doing that for those people. I I can't imagine how grateful they must have been to receive those food boxes, especially the seniors, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, definitely. And I think one of the things I always say is that The and Finch community, we are very resilient. We are not just resilient, but we're constantly fighting through that as well. And we know how to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when we started this, this was not just like a a charity uh, of like some organization coming in, doing something for the poor. Like our steering committee members who are also uh, dominant residents from the community, we all came together to really figure out how we can take care of ourselves because we knew very well that the impact of COVID is going to hit our community the hardest. Mm-hmm. And we knew that if we were to sit there and wait for some government, someone, somewhere to come and, and rescue us, that that wasn't gonna happen. So we took it upon ourselves and we leveraged the resources and the capacity that we have to, 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 to do that. Oh,
1: that's, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So, Laetitia, what are some ways, if we wanted to grow our food at home, maybe we don't have a lot of space, maybe we don't even have a lot of money. Like, what are some ways that people can grow their own food at home using the space that they have?
0: I'm not a grower. I just dipped into gardening a bit like last year and this year. And what I actually did, because I don't have a lot of money myself, but what I did was I had an old um, dresser at home and I was going to throw it out. But what I ended up doing is just using uh, the drawers in the dresser as a garden bed and literally just drilled the holes at the bottom and you can put soil in it and you can use it to grow. And the dresser itself, I just flipped it over and it became a container bed um, that I put in my backyard and I feel soiled in it and I planted stuff in it. For the most part, I don't know what I'm doing but I took the <laughs> chance. I got, um, I got, uh, uh, a few, um, uh, seedlings and things, uh, from, uh, from the farm and from other folks as well. I bought a bag of soil. Um, and then we shared the soil actually with my neighbors, uh, who were all like, oh, we want to grow too. Like, can we share next year? Actually, we would like to contribute and help, uh, to pay for it. Um, and, One of the incredible things I think you see and also how you build a peace and harmony, I think in your neighborhood and also how you build that connection in your neighborhood, literally through a simple thing that's just growing in your front yard. Now the neighbor who used to never talk to you is now interested in what you're growing and also want to start themselves. And they're also sharing your own knowledge. Oh, we eat this, we eat the leaves. Oh, what do you eat? So there's so much that you learn as well about your own culture, but also about other people's culture. And you learn, I think, food brings everybody together because you learn that, you know, Callaloo, I used to think was just uh, 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 a Jamaican thing where it's only Jamaicans or Caribbeans that only eat Callaloo. And then I learned in my own culture, we eat kalalu, And I learned also a lot of Asians also eat Callaloo. They don't call it Callaloo. I forgot the name of it.
1: Yeah, they call it something else. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah
0: but you learn, right? right? Like all the different cultures and how they use different foods or certain things that you're like, oh, it's just a leaf. I don't do anything with it. And then this one is like, oh no, we use that leaf to cook or to, for tea or for, you know? So there's so much knowledge that you gain. And I think it's just a beautiful thing to, to see. But I think one of the important things that I'm learning also through it is that it's so easy to have conversations about why it's important to care for the environment just through a simple thing of growing food. Even with my own kids. Mom, why don't we put that in the soil? Why do we need to do that? Why is that important? So slowly, it's like you learn in a very organic way um, some of these things. And it also, kids are really smart and you're, you're fast learners, right? They learn. And this is a, a learning that will stay with them for the long term versus if I sat them down and said, this is why we should care for the environment. And this is why it's important. Kids will just nod your hand and be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. And then just walk away. But because you engage them in the growing of food, they are able to pick it up, but also is able to stay with them. The impact stays with them much longer into their life.
1: Right. Oh my God, Letitia, there's so many wonderful things there that you just said. I just, I love the fact, and you know, with all this, everything that's been going on with the pandemic and covid And the social distancing, I understand the social distancing, yes, it is important for our safety, for our health. But one of the concerns I have about it is that I feel like as a society, even before COVID, we were already disconnected from each other. When you look about social media, when you look at technology and just doing things over email versus just picking up a phone and having a conversation, even just at the basic level. So I love that you're able to find a way to, you know, not only, you know, garden and find a way to, you know, garden in your own own space, in your own home but also you know, sharing that with your neighbors. And you're right. I mean, I think if there's two things that really connect us all, it's food and music, right? So I just love the way that you've done that. I love the way that you've actually shared that with your own neighborhood. I like how that facilitates conversations that we should be having around, you know, understanding different cultures around growing foods and the importance of doing that, the importance of health. And I also love that you're getting your kids involved too, because now your kids learn the importance of this, the importance of eating healthy. Like you said, the importance of sustainability at a very young age. And then that also helps when they have their kids. It just, you know, helps with the cycle of just making sure that we're understanding the importance of growing our own food, the importance of, of eating healthy foods and sustainability. So I just, I loved everything you just said there.
0: Well, thank you. And I also want to state that if you live in a community that has a lot of high rises, right, not a lot of people have that privilege to be able to have a yard uh, to be able to grow food. And some people they're able to grow uh, some things on their balconies. And some people is even dealing with their landlords, right? Who do right. not want them to grow anything because whatever other worries that they have. But there are many. And I think now on YouTube, I say you find anything you want to grow mushrooms. <laughs> there's a, a video you can find to even how to do that at home. I think there are other resources. And I think you don't need to go to... Um, shops and buy expensive bins and things. It's just finding all the things, certain things that you have at home, things that you've even been throwing out that you could use to grow certain things. I used to think, oh, um, I can't plant anything because my backyard is like um very shaded, right? You don't get that much sun. And then I learned, oh, there's certain crops and certain things that do well, you know, that are edible, that do well um, as well. Of course it's hard work and it takes a lot of planning and a Mm -hmm. lot of thinking. But I think it's also very enriching and rewarding because you grow something and you see that fruit. You know, there is that, um, it builds your self esteem in some way. Yeah, your sense of pride, totally. So much pride and confidence in yourself to be able to do something like that, too, right? Very much, very much. My son had worries. My son is 17. And when I started, he's like, Mom, why? Like, you're (laughs) going to die? Like, how are we going to take? And now he's the one that's asking, Mom, should we water them? oh, mom, you know, I saw some weeds and I unplucked them. And I'm like, and I feel proud because I'm like, I know my 17-year-old son, you know, helping me out in the garden. I couldn't be any prouder.
1: I love that. Maybe he'll be one of our next Black-owned farmers, you know? Yes. <laughs> ever, uh, Sounds once. like <laughs> it. <Yeah. laughs> so, Letitia, what actionable steps can people take to support the kinds of food and justice work and racial equalities that you're engaged in?
0: I think it depends sort of who you are and 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 what level of engagement you can uh, put in. One of the fundraisers that I really want to highlight is the uh, Black Women's uh, Food Sovereignty Fund. Um, I can share more details with you and then you can share with Sid listeners. Uh, this is to support Black women to be able to get land and to be able to also engage in agriculture. So that's really, really important uh, cause. I think if there is uh, an organization in your neighborhood, if their focus is around pay equity, their focus is around job security, that's also doing food justice work. And I think that's something you should definitely get involved in as well. So find out what local groups exist and see where they're at and what kind of support. If you have money, think about uh, small-scale farmers black small-scale farmers or racialized small-scale farmers in your neighborhood and and see what they need. And sometimes it's a matter of just sending them money. If they have a donation uh, program, make sure that you're contributing, not just one time, if you're able to. Something that they can count on on a regular basis to be able to support some of their work. Of course, support the Black Community Farm as well. During COVID, um, we We have a revenue loss due to the fact that we had to cancel our programs and and services. So we do corporate programs and we do also uh, field trips and all of that got canceled. So we're also asking for donations to be able to recover some of that revenue uh, loss as well. And again, standing up, being anti-racist, like just staying complacent or silent is actually harmful. Mm. So if you see harm being done, if you see an injustice, to speak up and to speak out against it is very, very important. And I think it's something that all of us can do in our everyday lives because there are also these microaggressions and there are also these things that sometimes happen and we're scared to say anything, so we kind of let it go. Um, And that can, of course, come in the long term. So I think whatever folks can do um, within your capacity to support the cause, because we have a long way to go.
1: Right, right. Amazing. So, Alicia, I have a question for you, and it's something that I'm going to be now asking all of my guests on the Mind Your Body show. And that is, what's your favorite way to take care of your mind and your body?
0: So one thing I started doing is literally getting a good book. Uh, sitting outside under a shade by my garden and reading a book after a very long day. That helps me to sort of um, remove myself a little bit from the world and from everything that's happening on social media. That's really, really important to me. And um, yeah, just shutting down all devices, everything, and just sometimes just laying there in the couch, I tell my daughter, I call it mindful moment, so that she will also participate. Mm. So we're like, we're gonna have a five minute mindful moment right now. So we're done. It's like, okay, are, are you ready for another five minute mindful moment? And it's just doing nothing. I love that. And just sit in there and um, just relaxing and thinking, you know, um, and being with your own thoughts. I
1: love that. And especially with the work that you do, Letitia, you're so active in the community. You know, it's really important to make sure that you're taking care of your own mind and you're taking care of your body as well so that you can continue to serve at the level and, you know, the capacity in which you've been serving. So again, thank you for everything you've been doing in the community. No, thank you so much for having me. Letitia, where can
0: everybody find you? I'm on Instagram as, I think, am.amponsa. It Amponsa is A-M-P-O-N-S-A-H or on um, Twitter, the same name as well. And on Facebook, um, ama Amponsa. That's my Ghanaian name.
1: Okay. And I'll make sure that I link all of those things in the show notes as well. So people can find you and learn more about what you're doing and how you're being active in the community. So Letitia, thank you so much for joining us today on the Mind Your Body show. It was my absolute pleasure to have you here.
0: Thank you so much for having me.